What up, what it do, and what's good, people? What a weekend. What a weekend it was. Like I've told you time and time again, I take my family out for a drive every single Saturday. And last weekend, we drove to Malibu, passing a very beautiful looking university. I know, I know, no, it wasn't USC, as you would think it would be knowing me. It was Pepperdine University, overlooking the water with great scenery and a great view. On Sunday, it was either NASCAR or the match with four of the best in their respective sports. Phil Mickelson, known as Lefty, Peyton Manning, known as Omaha, Omaha, Tom Brady, who could arguably be and people might argue he is the GOAT of his sport. And of course, the great Tiger Woods, who one could also argue the GOAT of his sport. Six million viewers. Six million viewers. You know, that's our goal for this show. If you don't know, you have tuned into another exciting episode of Talk to Talk with Mo Orr. We have so much to talk about today and so many topics to cover. So before we get started, this will be the perfect time to tell everyone that is not watching or listening to go watch the show and listen to my damn podcast. Oh, we have a great one lined up for you today and a very, very special guest waiting in the wings and anxious to get started. But first, this podcast is brought to you by The Jerky Zone. When you're looking for that high protein pack snack to get you back on track, the next stop is the Jerky Zone. And of course, Intro Wheels, where custom rims make your classic cars come to life. And lastly, Advantage Capital Management, where the plus in the logo signifies above and beyond commitment to adding value. Oh, you heard me to adding value to investments by providing A-plus impact to the world we touch. You could also view and watch this podcast on our app at www.thsn.today. Watch, submit, and share. Download the app. If you're driving and just want to work out or something, you could also listen to this show on Apple and Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, and Spotify. Great enough to do it twice. Let's get to it. Today's topic is what goes around comes around. Two chances are always better than one. My guest today is a Scorpio. What? Kind of like me. Love long walks on the beach. Born in Southgate, California. Played at the University of Washington. Was drafted in the seventh round of the 1980 NBA draft by the Golden State Warriors with the 141st pick. And now, the head men's basketball coach for the Pepperdine University Waves. Please welcome Coach Lorenzo Romar to talk to talk. Hey, Coach, how you doing today? I'm good, Mo. How are you? 
Come on, I'm always amazing, coach. Always amazing. All right, all right. I'm trying to be like you. <laughs> Look, also here with us today, if you want to know, he's my sidekick. Batman had his Robin, and I have the CTO of the high school narrative, Tony Rosignal. What's going on, Tony? Oh, I'm really excited about this one. Um, a close family friend there with uh, with the. Uh, the president uh, and the CEO, Mary uh, Manorino Rosignol, and her and Coach Romar go way, way back. As a matter of fact, uh, it's some pretty good family stories on uh, on Coach when he was uh, a younger man and, and, and quite the athlete. Uh-oh. Well, it's funny because I always get to hear the stories about uh, Mary and Downey and, and St. Pius and all that. And then, of course, I'm researching Coach, and I see that he went to St. Pius as well. So is that where the connection is? Pius X, man. I, I played with uh, her brother, Jim. Jim Manorino. Ah, the basketball okay. player. Okay. He, he, you said he was okay? He was good. He, hey, he, he, he started ahead of me. I couldn't beat him out. <laughs> well, eventually you did something right, Coach. Eventually you did something right. <laughs> hey, Coach, I, I got a question for you real quick. What was it like being drafted? You know, that's that's every high school kid's dream. What did, what was it like being drafted for you? Different scenario back then than it is now because there were ten rounds. Now there are only two, and uh, <laughs> I actually got drafted uh, back. They would show four rounds on television on cable back then, and I was sitting around waiting, wondering. I didn't know if I'd get drafted or not. Even with ten rounds. 20 rounds, I wouldn't have known if I was going to get drafted. And uh, after the four, I just, my name wasn't called, so I got up and I left. So just figuring I wasn't going to get drafted, you know. I get a, uh, someone, our sports information director at the University of Washington, where I went to college, uh, uh, told me that I had just been drafted by the Utah Jazz. And like, whoa, I got drafted. So I was fired up. And uh, they said, uh, someone would like to talk to you about that. And I remember saying there was a guy named Daryl Griffith back then who played at Louisville. He was a college player of the year, and he got drafted. He was the second pick, I think, by the Utah Jazz. And I said, oh, it's going to be great playing with Daryl Griffith. And, you know, I, I know now I, I was so naive. You just you talk like you're on the team already. You know, they didn't even know who I was. Well, I go to sleep thinking I'm going to be with the Jazz and I'm waiting to hear from them. When do I report? And I pick up the paper to look at the draft because they had all the picks listed. And it said I was, in fact, drafted, but it was by the Golden State Warriors. So I'm like, well, am I? what's going on? Finally, someone from the Warriors contacted me and told me that uh, they had, in fact, drafted me in the seventh round with the 141st pick. So I was excited, nevertheless. So how different is it now? You said, so it was 10 rounds back then, two rounds now. And of course, you had to pick up the paper to see where you were drafted. The influence of social media is so different now, right? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, but I still don't know if I would have. If I had a, a Twitter account back then or whatever I would have, I don't know if I'd put down there bragging that I was a seventh round pick. <laughs> hey, there's so I'm many trying to keep that on the low. 
You said you want to get the, you go, we were drafted by text. We sent the text. They said you are in the seventh round. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So Make when did you know you were, What's that? When did you even know that you were on the radar for the NBA, coach? You know, I never knew. Uh, every now and then, a scout would show up from the NBA somewhere, never to look at me, though. I just, I wasn't a great player I, uh, in terms of statistics. I averaged nine points a game my senior year, 9.4 my senior year at the University of Washington. But what I'll never forget is that the Lakers played at the University of Washington against the Sonics back then because the kingdom or their place where they were supposed to play wasn't available. So they used our floor and it was a playoff game. So naturally, being a student athlete there, I was able to go to the game. And after the game, I remember the Lakers had won and I had zero contact with NBA people. So I was standing in the path of where the Lakers were going to have to walk off to get on their bus to leave the arena. And uh, Paul Westhead was then the coach that year. And he walked by me, and I just said, hello, coach, my name is, and I just, he said, you know what? Uh, your coach tells me that you're quite a player. And at that point, I was amazed that he knew who I was. And that was about the closest I came to thinking that maybe someone in the NBA remotely knew who I was and uh, just went from there. And the next time I heard anything was the draft. That's so crazy how that worked back then, because if you think about it, now kids declare for the draft. Like I thought about last week, I was going to declare for the NBA draft. And <laughs> maybe <laughs> I doubt if it would have worked that way. So you were going in the eighties, right? So in the 80s, you know. Late, 70, the, late 70s. I got the drafted. The late 70s? Yeah. So Showtime Lakers and stuff like that. That was in the 80s, yeah. My first, my years were 80 through 85 in the NBA. So it was when the Showtime Lakers were getting, just getting started. I My rookie year was the year after the Lakers won the championship when Magic played all five positions. And uh, Kareem was not yeah, able to play in that game. Right. The next year was the year that was I was watching that as a kid. I was excited about that, Magic Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. Coming out. So what did you think about the last dance, coach? I was glued, glued to the television for five straight weeks. And I was um, so happy for our players to have watched it. Our kids, you know, they debate all the time, okay, who was the best? And Jordan, yeah, yeah. Jordan was good, but, and for them to see him and see what he was really about, it uh, it blew them away. And, you know, there were things, because again, that was the, his rookie year was my last year in the NBA. And it was during that yeah. time when you just, all that stuff looked so familiar when he first came into the league and, uh, it was like I said. I, I couldn't. I couldn't blink. I, I couldn't wait to watch it every week. It brought back some memories for you, huh? Oh yeah, it did. It did. Uh, having played against Jordan, some not too fond memories. <laughs> I can only imagine. And trust me, I'm going to make you feel better. I'm not a counselor, but I guarantee you, there was more people than just you. <laughs> who oh yeah. There's no question. 
Yeah. I saw I saw a great clip before I get into another question. I saw a great clip uh, uh, yesterday, and they were they were showing Mutombo. It was an All Star game, and he was saying Jordan never dunked on me. Never oh, dunked yeah. on me. Never dunked on me. Right. A couple weeks later. <laughs> Jordan ducked on him. So Mutombo. It was so cool. awesome. You remember how Mutombo, whenever he blocked a shot, he'd wag the finger. And then when Jordan dumped yeah. on him, Jordan looked at him. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that was Pretty awesome. Fun. So, Coach, so you, you 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 played at Washington, which you talked about, and then you went back to coach at Washington. What was that like for you? When I first got into coaching, I was an assistant at, at UCLA. That was my first D1 job. And I always thought if I could ever have a, uh, become a head coach, what a thrill and honor it would be for me to coach it at my alma mater, which was University of Washington. And uh, sure enough, an opportunity opened up and uh, I was the fourth option at the time. But uh, Barbara Hedges was the athletic director at the time. And she is the one that hired me. And I remember her words were after, I think she had interviewed a number of others. And I think they turned the job down. And she said, well, are you ready to become the new head coach? And wow, it was everything else was a blur after that. But it was, from a basketball coach's standpoint, it was a dream come true for me. You know, it's funny because you said that you thought about, man, if I could ever go back to Washington, does that really creep into the minds of coaches who are coaching to where they think back, man, you know what? It's in the news. Michigan is open. I used to play at Michigan, but I'm at this uh, university right now, but the opportunity might arise. Do, Do you think that triggers something in coaches to where it would be awesome to go back to their alma mater? I think most coaches have a dream job. And I think most coaches, if they can go back and coach where they uh, played basketball and got their education, I think most would, would cherish that opportunity. And I know many that did do that and was fortunate enough to do it. And, you know, I remember the press conference going back to University of Washington when I was introduced as the new head coach. I was walking on cloud nine, man, just to know. uh, And and I remember I played for a legend. Marv Harshman was his name. He was uh, in the uh, Naismith Hall of Fame. And I remember thinking if I somehow could coach as long as Coach Harshman did here, that would be another dream come true. And uh, he was there for 14, and I was there for 15. And you were there for 15. Look, in 2005, uh, you won the, the then Pac-10 um, tournament, and you were the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And we were, not only yeah. that, so your first time in, you make it to the Sweet 16. The uh, well, the first year we were we weren't very good. The second year we snuck in and made the NCAA tournament, but we lost an overtime game in the first round. But then the second year, the third year, I'm sorry, was what you're talking about, about 2005 when you were number one seed and made it to the Sweet 16. Made it to the Sweet 16. And then the following year, you do it again. We went back, yeah, yeah. But you got to understand, man, we had a guy named Nate Robinson on that team. 
We had I a remember. guy named Brandon Roy on that team, uh, a guy named Bobby Jones that uh, went on to play in the NBA. Uh, some other guys that were all conference didn't quite make the NBA, but we, we had some really, really good talent that uh, were really aggressive and uh, had some swagger and played with a lot of confidence. You did, you did. I, uh, you let me have me on my couch, uh, balled up a couple times because uh, the way you guys used to beat up on USC and me being an avid USC fan, I was like, these guys here. But yes, later I found out that all these NBA players were playing on that team. <laughs> yeah, Brandon and and uh, and Nate and all that. So that's awesome. And what the accomplishment you must have felt playing at Washington and now going and having these successes with going to the tournament because there's only 64 teams that make the tournament that's right out of hundreds yeah what type of a, how did you feel about that and to be able to take these kids to those are dreams for a lot of kids to play in the NCAA tournament two things that I was most proud of during that time was one when we took over the program it had been struggling and it was they just weren't weren't winning and uh, did not have a winning attitude at all. They were very selfish, and but they wanted it. They wanted to be special, and they put the time in. And for us to go to the NCAA tournament and then go to a Sweet 16, be a number one seed, and you know, I remember ESPN, <coughs> excuse me, ESPN doing a special. Uh, Four days where ESPN had the Washington Huskies feature behind the scenes, kind of. And to watch our guys walk around town and be able to hold their heads high and to see what that led to, uh, many of those guys went on to be successful outside of basketball. And that made me very proud to be able to see those guys have an opportunity to have an experience like that in college. But then the other thing was, I remember... When I first got hired, one of the things I did was all of my teammates that I played with that were back when I was at the University of Washington, we had like a reunion. I had them all over my house and we just kind of talked and I had some game film from back when we played and we had a good time and I loved leaving those guys tickets to game games and even the guys that weren't on my team, but all of the Huskies, I just felt like Okay, I told them, this is our program. God, we're, one of us is here. We're all in here together, man. We got to represent for everybody. And it was just a proud moment to be able to represent for all of the Husky alums out there. That's awesome. I would love some of that game feel so we can, we can put that in post. That would actually be awesome. It might make me cry. You know, I'm not going to lie. It might make me cry, but hey, it's okay. You know man. what? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you something. I tell this to, to kids all the time. When we, uh, I think our second or third year, USC had a couple of guards that were young. They were really young and they were going against upper class when you're talking about Nate Robinson, Brandon Roy, a guy named Will Conroy, that's assistant coach at University of Washington. These kids had been through the wars. They had lost early. They learned how to win. And now they came out and played with a lot of confidence. Well, they would play against these SC guards, and the SC guards would complain about how our guys were talking trash, how our guys were fouling them, how they were just so physical. And, you know, I thought, you know, that's how our guys were when we were younger. Well, sure enough, 
Gabe Pruitt and Nick ended up growing up and they became a heck of a basketball players in their own right. It just shows, you know, as guys get older and mature, it's a different ball game. And that's growth. You know, I think it's hard for uh, freshmen to come in out of, right out of high school, you know, some of them 17, 18 years old and now going to a, a Division One program and being impactful. You know, when they're when they do that, they have to be mature and not just, you know, just physically, but mature in mind and, and also in the game. What, what are you looking for from um, high school kids that you are going out? Because you are known, and I have this, you know my fellow coaches as one of the top basketball recruiters in the country. What are you looking for when you're out there looking for some of those uh, recruits to come to your program? Number one, talent, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. We can say what we want, but they've got to be talented. And that, that certainly helps. Uh, their character, what are they like as kids? Character goes a long ways and it translates into a lot of different areas. Uh, feel, but passion. Passion is huge. Yeah. The, is the kid obsessed with the game, with being the best they could possibly be? I think we've been fortunate to have a lot of kids develop in our program during the time they've been with us. And one of the reasons I think is we've been able to evaluate how much of a passion they have for the game. You take a couple of players and one is a little more talented than the other, but the one that doesn't have as much talent is more passionate about the game, he's gonna pass that one up. And players develop because they're passionate about being the best that they can be. And that's what we really try to look, look for uh, in, in basketball players, student athletes. So you say that, Coach, and then you think about the times now to whereas um, kids are now one and done, you know. So now you're going out to recruit, and I know there's different levels at the D1 where you'll look at these KUs and, and North Carolina-type players, and, you know, you might look at where you are now and say, okay, if I don't get that kid, I'm going to go after this kid. Would you much rather have a kid that is looking to stay in college for the education as well as, you know, I'm an athlete and I want to play four years or a one or two year uh, athlete, would you prefer? Every day of the week, eight days a week, I should say, uh, the, the four year kid. You don't win by being young today in the college game. You, the teams that win big, they're old. Now, the ideal situation is if you can have a veteran team, you're older, and now maybe you have the high school sensation that's only going to be good. He's only going to be in college a year because he's so talented. He's going to be an impactful NBA player. If you can put that guy on a team with some veterans, now you've got something. But people yeah. think automatically because you have a player that's going to be one and done, you're supposed to win all these games. and. Uh, I'm not making excuses. We have Markel Fultz. He was the number one pick in the draft. We weren't very good. We weren't a very good team. But uh, we were a young team. And, you know, you can't bring it back. But we, the year before Markel came, he signed with us in November. And when he signed, we had two freshmen, one named DeJounte Murray and another named Marquise Chris. 
Markel was supposed to play with DeJounte and Marquise Chris. We had another kid named Matisse Teibel who was a freshman then. So what would have happened is DeJounte Murray, Matisse Teibel, Marquise Chris, they would have all played with Markel. They would have been older. DeJounte and Marquise didn't think they had a chance. They didn't even talk about being one and done. They thought now maybe two and out or three, but not one and done. But they had such right. good years, such good years, that uh, DeJounte ended up being a 20, in the 20s, picked for the Spurs in the first round, and Marquise was the eighth pick. And they were young, but if they come back, now they're with Markel, that's a different story. That so, is, and, and, and DeJounte, he was 29th, actually, overall for yeah. the Spurs. Yeah, you know, and so those guys were good players. They were young, but they were talented, but they would have had more experience the following year, but uh, it, it would have helped. But the the uh, the one-and-dones are great as long as two things happen. Number one, you have to have a veteran group with them. Number two, they can't rent out your program. They have to have both feet in when they're there. They can't totally use that year just to showcase themselves. They've got to be all in. Is it is it a lot more difficult for you as a coach and a coaching staff to coach a number one somebody you know has the potential like Markel, um, you know have the potential to be not only a first round pick but the first overall pick. Do you guys have to change your coaching style knowing that everybody's there expecting this kid to be the next coming? No, but. What ends up happening is, I don't care how talented you are as a freshman, there is still a learning curve. Yeah. And you, you, when a player is that talented, you still have to let them go out and make mistakes and play through their mistakes because they're so talented. And uh, there's a balance, a balance to that. So you don't have to necessarily tweak your system. You don't necessarily have to change things but again that's why if you have a veteran team with them they can make those mistakes and the veterans can cover it and then by by mid-january they're going to cover the veterans mistakes because now yeah, they, right. you know, they picked it up pretty good so you just gotta be able to see that's right uh all right coach let's talk about now where you at you you also coached at Pepperdine about almost 20 years ago. Yeah, it was. Right? 20 years ago, yeah. And now you're back. What's different now? And uh, what made you decide to go back? Well, number one, the league is different. Back then, Gonzaga was just on its way. Gonzaga was only just winning the league then. They weren't getting the right. national championship games and uh, uh, perennial top fives and number one uh, ranked teams. That 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 wasn't the case back then. But they were just getting started. In fact, I think my last year uh, they made their first Elite Eight run. So that was different. BYU was not in the league then. They've done very well. And then St. Mary's, although our first year they won the league, they were nowhere close to the program that where they are now. Uh, Randy Bennett, who actually, when I took the job at Pepperdine, was one of my assistants. 
has done a phenomenal job at St. Mary's and uh, the league is just so much better. The league is upgraded at this point. Uh, recruiting is different. The way you have to go out and recruit right now. But uh, aside from that, uh, a lot of other things are, are pretty familiar. Now, I forgot the second part of your question was what? You have two parts to this question. So I, I asked what, what's different now, and then I want to know why you, why you went back. There we go. Why? Where did the opportunity come? When I was fired at, at Washington, uh, I got a call from Sean Miller over at Arizona. And he invited me to come on and be on his staff as an assistant, which I did. I had known Sean. We had competed against each other when he was when I was at Washington. He was at Arizona, and I thought he did a phenomenal job. So while I was there, uh, I learned a lot from Sean. Learned, I picked up a lot from him, and I thought, you know, if I if I have another opportunity to become a head coach, I want to go somewhere where it's on the West Coast. I don't want to start over and relearn all of the different coaches, relearn the landscape. I want to go somewhere where it's familiar ground, familiar territory. I grew up in Compton, California. Uh, I was in here. I, I lived in California a lot, very familiar when I was in Pepperdine before, when I spent time at UCLA. And I just figured this would probably be my last job and I wanted to end it on the West Coast. And I wanted to go somewhere we had a chance to be successful. And I thought Pepperdine provided all of those uh, opportunities. Uh, me, I, a, as a Christian, uh, in a state school, in a public school, there's only, you're limited as to what you can do or say. Pepperdine's a Christian school. I can say pretty much whatever I want in that regard and uh, spiritually, so that's not a factor. So it just, it filled all the boxes in what I was looking for for my last job. That's awesome. It's so funny because literally I did. We drove on Saturday and we drove to Malibu and we're driving by Pepperdine and my girl looks at me and she goes, oh, so um, what's that? What school is that? And I was like, that is Tuesday's guest. <laughs> this coach Romar that's going to be on the show on Tuesday. Uh, it, it's a great looking campus, great school, great view. And you know, the other thing is, I want to. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm sorry. You go, go ahead. ahead, coach. No, go ahead, coach. Now, I was going to say, you were just talking about the campus, the view, and all, and the academics are, are top notch. I just thought the other thing when I selected my next job, I wanted to go somewhere where you can have success recruiting. And I think you can have success recruiting at Pepperdine. Man, but you talk about the, the the conference now. So you have Gonzaga. I mean, that's a, you know, if, if people are thinking about coming to, to the conference, are they looking at the Gonzagas and the St. Mary's and the BYU's? You have to be a really good recruiter to walk into a, a, a house and say, no, no, we're going to be playing against Gonzaga and we're going to play against St. Mary's. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? That's such a fun challenge, man. I remember... After I left Pepperdine, I went to St. Louis, and I was the head coach at St. Louis. And when I got there, that at that time, Cincinnati just kind of had everybody. They were just punking the whole league, you know. That yeah. was back. Bobby Huggs was, Huggins was the coach, and Kenyon Martin was playing for them. They were number one in the country. Yeah. DePaul had an unbelievable team. Marquette, Dwayne Wade was over there. That Louisville, uh, Denny Crum was the coach, and 
then Rick Patino. I mean, that league was loaded. And you know, I remember our first year, we won the conference tournament, went to the NCAA tournament. And then the next challenge at the University of Washington was Arizona, UCLA. And then we ended up doing okay. So it's here, again, those schools have done a remarkable job, but it's a fun challenge to have an opportunity to go out and compete and raise the level of our program against those guys. Well, that's great because I, I love the way you talk about looking at the challenge and being able to take the challenge. And hopefully these kids and, and our viewers out there are looking and saying, look, the, the road might be tough, but I'm willing to take on the challenge. And I know I know Tony has a question. Go ahead, Tony. Uh, uh, Coach, can you talk about the differences between obviously coming from Pius, uh, going to the, uh, Washington to go to, to a, a public university, back to Pepperdine. Can you talk about the just you and maybe the players from a spiritual point, how much difference it is between the two? Well, it's, as far as the players are concerned, there was there is, hasn't been a whole lot difference. It more, it's more with the administration and the mission of the school. But uh, the players, uh, you know, some, everybody's different. Everybody's different in their walk and where they are spiritually. So it, it's been pretty diverse where, wherever I've been. But do you feel there's an opportunity at Pepperdine as compared to some of the other universities to, to kind of reach out from a faith-based standpoint for some of these kids? Well, it is because, you know, it's required to take uh, religion courses at Pepperdine. You know, it's a requirement that you have to do. We have a weekly convocation uh, every Wednesday where there's some type of message uh, being set forth, but uh, to me, I think the biggest challenge, you talk about a challenge of trying to overcome those that have been in the top of our league, but to live my Christian faith in front of our guys day in and day out. They watch everything you do. And, you know, yeah. you guys play sports. I mean, I guarantee you, you guys imitated your coaches. Some of the things that they did that was funny about the coach or whatever when he wasn't around. And, I did the same thing and they do the same thing about me. They watch everything you do. So if they can watch you when you're successful, when you fail, what type of father you are, what type of husband you are, if they can watch all those things and you're consistent with handling that in a Christ-like manner, uh, I think that is about as good a ministry as you can have to, to these youngsters. They're in a pivotal time in their lives and as much as they try to be tough and act like they have all the answers they know in a couple of years they're going to be out in the real world and it's very pivotal but at that time when they're starting to realize you know what maybe i don't have all the answers so if you can be there for them for to be able to model what the price like life is like i think uh that goes a long way and when i say that that means also that when I make mistakes, when I fail, when I don't live up to what I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian, they want to see how I handle that. Do I make an excuse? Do I say, uh, don't worry about it, it's no biggie, you know, everybody makes mistakes, you know, or is it, I was wrong. I was wrong and I need to fix that. Uh, I think it's important for them to see that as well. That is Phenomenal, and I'm glad you said that Pepperdine was a Christian school because a lot of a lot of people.
people and a lot of viewers might not know that. So on that note, we're going to go to a quick break. We're going to come back with, with Coach Romar and kind of talk about how the pandemic is affecting the programs. Also, his uh, Coach Wooden Keys to the Life Award. You don't want to miss this sec second segment. So more with Coach Romar right after this. Don't go anywhere. When I grow up, I want to be a ballerina. I want to be a doctor. When I grow up, I want to be a chef. When I grow up, I want to be a surgeon or a basketball player. I want to be a doctor when I grow up. I want to be a Our commitment to delivering lifestyles within reach is based on a holistic view of investing. We do not invest simply in brick and mortar, but we invest in the people in our communities and we support their dreams and aspirations. One of the great things about the North Point basketball program is it provides uh, our kids an opportunity to explore their hopes and dreams. I think the greatest thing about the program is that we are developing life skills for them, um, discipline, structure, uh, respect, hard work, friendships, fun. I think in their schools, in their uh, junior highs, in their high schools, and on into college, these are all things that sports is a vehicle to teach them life skills and, and to mentor them into being um, successful people, not only in sports, but in life. Success and stability starts in the home. Avanath provides housing to very hardworking, good people who are pursuing their American dream, and we are incubating that American dream. What we are doing is trying to support those families and help provide activities and mentorship for their children. We're part of their extended family, and it's our dream to help them reach their dreams. That is indeed what Lifestyle Within Reach is all about. still here with coach Romar he's feeding the soul so if, if you didn't go grab something to drink I'm pretty sure you're going to be really really thirsty for this second segment coach thank you for sticking around sir glad to do it hey so um we left off we, we now we're on Pepperdine we did the Washington thing now we're on Pepperdine and I kind of want to talk about now this pandemic this pandemic is has stopped everything in the world in its tracks. For you guys now with recruiting and SATs and all that stuff they have to do, the live period, how how difficult is this on a program and for coaches? Well, it, it's difficult. I don't know any area in life where it hasn't impacted someone in a negative way. Uh, it's unfortunate, you know, we're, we're concerned because we can't play games or we can't practice or uh, be physically on campus. But I just think of so many that are affected by 
this virus that are out of work or really struggling financially. And, uh, it, it's just a really, really tough time in the area of sports and in regards to us and what we're doing. Uh, it's difficult because we're so used to touching our guys, being around our guys. And, they're taking classes online, and fortunately, our guys wrapped up the semester and did a great job. They're taking classes online in, in summer school right now. They're being very responsible, doing what they're supposed to do. But uh, even them, they can't really work out the way they would want to work out to try to improve and, and develop as, uh, as, as athletes. But they are staying on top of their studies. But it's, it's definitely a different time. And, you know, we've had our Zoom chats with the team to try to keep everyone together, and we have to be creative and try to continue to do that until things settle down a little bit and we're able to get back. But uh, we have to be creative in what we're doing, like everyone else does. Yeah, so, you know, being that you're not able to go to the gyms and, and do all those type of things, um, I think, could this be a, a really good time for your students to focus on academics? You know, whether it, cause now, you know, there's no other distraction outside of uh, basketball or video games that they can really sit down and focus on academics, right? There's no question, no question. And it's interesting, our, uh, our grades are going up because you, you know. I was about to say that, yeah. They, they really are because you've got so much time to do, to do what you're supposed to do. But, uh, you know, when we eventually get back, I don't know if any of our guys are want to listen to this or what, but uh, it's a time right now, you're kind of getting a sneak peek of what it's going to be like when your basketball career is over. At this point, you don't have basketball. Every one of them is going to be in this position where this isn't your identity anymore. What are you going to do when this isn't your identity? There are very few, we talk about the last dance and Michael Jordan, very few athletes that were such top level athletes and so accomplished for a long period of time that people always remember them wherever they go. Everyone's like that. I know so many guys that, uh, that played and were really good and now they walk around and people walk right past them like they're nothing at some point. Your identity is going to have to be something else, and this is kind of a kind of a, a glimpse of what it's going to be like. Hey, it's a, it's a, it's something that you guys could take from this and and share and teach uh, these athletes because you're right. What the top two three percent uh, actually go on to the NBA and and play in the NBA, and and then less than that, I would say point. 1% are Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Birds, you know, to where their name is recognizable when they walk. I haven't checked the numbers in a while, but you're absolutely right, Mo. Uh, the last time I checked, the average lifespan of an NBA player was three to four years. So you talk about someone that ends up being 40. They've been out of the game three times as, as long as they were in the game. And you, you prepare. Uh, I don't know how you don't make it if you're not obsessed and have a passion. We talked about that earlier. If you yeah. just go through the motions, you're not going to make it. So in order to make it, you got to really, really immerse all of your being into being the best that you can be. And you do that for so long, all of a sudden it's gone and uh, the real world jumps in. And I, I, it's hard to help them to understand that. 
when you're going through it, people can tell you all you want, but in your mind, yeah, 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 I'll deal with that when it, when it gets here. <laughs> They're shunning you off. It happens to me all the time, Coach. Coach, are, are you guys, are you worried about the, uh, the season and, uh, and if you're able to come back and when you come back about not playing in front of fans, uh, student sections are a big deal in, in college. What's your take on that? Well, you know, after everything began to get shut down and you're talking about March Madness was canceled, the NBA season was delayed, you know, maybe they will finish at the end here. If all of that stuff is shut down, Major League Baseball, sports in general, whoever thought that that would remotely be a possibility, if all of that happened, well then the next part could go on too, where maybe you're not able to play games. And if you're able to play games, you're playing games in empty gyms. Uh, that could be a reality. But I think the, the toughest part may have been over in terms of being able to accept where we are in terms of things being shut down. The initial uh, shutdown part of it was, was shocking to me. And now since that's happened, you, you kind of can, I think, embrace yourself for anything else that happens at this point. I think, and I've talked about this on, on the show, I talked about it with Casey uh, Jacobson, who was on the show recently, that a lot of people in the world wasn't taking this seriously until the NBA go, oh, no, 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 hold on. Let's shut this down for a minute. But once the NBA did that, people started going, okay, this might be something that is real, right? You talk about the domino effect of that. Once that shut down, it just, everything else finished. I mean, within days, everything else was shut down. No doubt. Yeah, very interesting. Um, another topic I want to talk about. So what do you think about the G League? You know, and um, Josh Green, you know, he, he just went and now he's signed a multi-year contract with a G League team or something like that for about $500,000. Kind of talk to me on your take on them coming in now, the NBA, and they're taking top prospects from college to uh, professional sports. When you combine that with the transfer rate, and next year, I think it's going to open up to where transfers can be eligible right away. They won't have to sit out a year. When you start to throw all of that in the mix, uh, it, it just it just changes so much. Uh, kids can look at the G League and. Most kids think they're Jalen Green. They don't right. look at it as, okay, wow, he's pretty special. He's able to do that. Not everyone else can do that. If I only get the ball as much, Coach, if you let me have the freedom that he has, I can do the same thing he did. That's what guys' perspective is. So more guys will start trying to do that. You know, it was one thing for kids to go overseas out of high school. A couple of kids tried that one out. But now, the money that they can make now, everybody's not going to make that money. That's just a select few, but everybody thinks that they're one of those select few. Just like 
uh, kids putting their name in the draft. There's only 60 picks, but you have countless numbers of kids putting their name in because they all feel like, oh, there's no doubt I'm one of the 60. So hopefully there are not too many that go through this process and realize that they made a mistake. Here's something else what kids don't understand about these early entries into the G League. When you leave high school or you're one and done, a lot of times you're getting drafted based on the projection. But in that projection and them taking a risk or investing in you, you're still getting a pretty good contract for two or three years. Well, now you go to the G League without that same amount of money, even though you're going to get a lot more money, they get to tell during that year if you're still projected. <laughs> now they find out, oh, whoa, I'm glad, we didn't, I'm glad he did come out of high school because if we would have taken him and gave him a three-year, two, three-year contract, then uh, it wouldn't have worked out. So there are going to be a lot of kids, unfortunately, getting exposed and uh, getting situations where that window, there's a small window when you come out of uh, high school or college, that window closes. Now you're back with the rest of the others that are just trying to make it. A lot of kids don't ever recover from it. And I don't think they see that side of it. All of them see the draft and they see the combine and they see you know all of that stuff and they're not looking at, what if I'm not one of those 60 uh, individuals? Yeah, so and that's tough. right. But you know what, a lot of this, it, the, the kids, you got to put it on them. They're the one that makes the decision. But the adults that are either trying to make something off the kids, right, latch on to the kids, or live their life through the kids, mess them up more than anything. Uh, it's always interesting when, you know, certain guys over the years have come to me that aren't ready to go to the NBA. They're just not ready. They might not ever be ready to go to the NBA, but they're certainly not ready after their first or second year. And they're saying, Coach, I'm thinking of putting my name in the draft. I'm thinking of, of, of coming out. Really? Well, where do you think you're going to get drafted? Well, what I'm hearing is that uh, probably middle second, but once I go through the workouts, I can work my way up to early second or the first round. I said, okay. Well, let me tell you, I've done my research too. Now, my research has been with the decision makers from the NBA. Not the barbershop, not the AAU coach, not the agent that's trying to get to you, or the parents. The ones I talk to, they're going to make these decisions and decide where you're going to get drafted, if you're going to get drafted. And they're telling me you're not getting drafted. So, I'm, and, and you're on the risk because everybody's telling them that now your coach is going to try to keep you in school because he doesn't really care about you. He cares about his team. So wow. there's a balance to that that you, but I'm, I still try to uh, be honest with them. And I also believe that when the ones making the decision on who they're drafting, if they tell me this kid's a first round pick, this kid's a lottery pick, when they say that, okay, now let's talk about it. But if they're not think, saying that, you got to give this some more thought. Well, I, listen, I'm, I'm. Let me talk. I'm gonna talk to your kids right now. Listen to me. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you this real quick so that you really understand. This man right here has coached at least 
16 draft picks in, in the league. So I think that you should be able to take some time out to listen to what he got to say. Don't listen to Jimmy at the barbershop and, and cousin Ron, who's who's sitting up here saying, oh, I'm gonna be part of your security uh, squad. Look, look, Quincy Poindexter, Isaiah Thomas, Terrence Ross, Marquise Chris and DeJounte Murray, Markel, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, you have to have, look, my kids don't think I know anything, just so you know, right? You can at least use that to your benefit and say, I know a little something about coaching some NBA players. They need to listen. Well, you, you, Mo, you'd be surprised. No. You'd be surprised. No, not, not too surprised. Not too surprised. <laughs> You'd be surprised uh, that they just, they, they're getting so much feedback from the outside of people that, uh, you know, I've even done, I've even gone as far as saying this to them. I said, well, wait, who's telling you this? Well, you know, well, coach, no, who's telling you? Well, a few of these agents I talked to, I said, all right, so let's just get this straight. This agent is telling you that you're going to get drafted anywhere between 15 and 20. Is that what you're telling me? That's what he's telling me, Coach. If I come out, I'm going to be drafted between 15 and 20. Say, okay, let's, let's do this then. Let's talk with your agent and get him to commit to this. If you get a certain amount of money, it's slotted between 15 and 20. All you got to do is look it up and see how much you'll get paid in any one of those picks. Every pick that you get drafted lower than 20, let him pay you and make up the difference. So if you go in the second round, figure out how much money you're going to lose out from the 20th pick to the second round pick and see if he will commit to paying you the difference if that happens. They're not doing that because they are just talking. They want to represent the kid. If he makes it, they make money. If he doesn't, they go on to the next. But yet the agent is telling them that I don't, as his head coach, I'm only caring about my program and not the kid. It's it's interesting. That's amazing to me. But if you really look at it in that perspective, if he says okay that he's going to pay you the difference, then go ahead. Could you it's okay? A situation situation for you. You're, yeah. you're still making a a, a a tough decision, but let me tell you this. And, and I, I hate telling this story to, to kids because they say, "Oh yeah, that's what I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be like him." Uh, Isaiah Thomas goes into his junior, uh, he's, he's just completed his junior year. He hits the winning shot against Arizona in the conference tournament. And we go on to the NCAA tournament. He's the most valuable player of the tournament. He was a three-time uh, all-conference performer. I mean, he had a heck of a career. And he said he was going to go home over Easter break and decide what he was going to do come back or not and sure enough he comes back and he says I'm going to do it and I says okay uh, I asked him this question where are you uh, being told you're getting drafted he said uh, early second uh, if I do well in the workouts late first I said well the NBA is telling me that you're going to be a mid second to undrafted and he looked me dead in the eye and he said what does that mean? As only Isaiah Thomas could do it, because he's such a confident, confident guy. And I said, uh, 
it means Isaiah, regardless of who's telling you what, you may not get drafted. And if you do, it's going to be late second. He says, well, then I said, do you know if you come back for another year, you will become the all-time leading assist, steals, and scoring leader in University of Washington history? He said, yeah, coach, but coach, just keeping it 100 with you. When I was little, I would work in my yard, I would work in my driveway, I would go to the gym, and always I was thinking of playing the NBA. I never was working so I could be the all-time leading scorer in college. I was working <laughs> the NBA. All right, man, I'm with you. So then I was with him 100%. And sure enough, he was the last pick in the draft, but the Sacramento Kings was the one team that really liked him. And they thought that they could get him and the rest was history for Isaiah. Yeah, he was 60th uh, overall pick in, in the second round. And uh, I love his honesty. <laughs> I and his power, he was, but he had real, I think it was uh, Coach Van Gundy on the NBA games. He says some players shoot with irrational confidence. Like they have confidence <laughs> makes no sense at all, dude. You never make a shot. Well, Isaiah, he didn't have irrational confidence. He he kind of knew. He had been an underdog all his life, and he, he kind of knew. So you have to you have to uh, pull for someone like that. Yeah, and you know, uh, and, you know, well, he he's shorter than me. I, I saw him in Vegas. I was doing some games. He he's shorter than me, and he's doing some amazing things. I can hey. if I bring the rim down. Hey, hey, you. <laughs> <laughs> You know what else he did, though? That year, when he came out, the NBA had the lockout early in the year. And he went back and finished his degree that year. That's awesome. That's that's uh, that's the best part of the story right there, Coach. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and you should be. Uh, Coach, so you were awarded the Coach Wooden Keys to the Life Award. Um, and I, it was for outstanding character and, you know, uh, things like that. What did that mean to you? That's, that's a amazing accomplishment. I had the good fortune when I was at UCLA as an assistant of being able to spend countless hours with Coach Wood. And you talk about someone that is just like, like unreal to be around. The wisdom, the nuggets, the priceless knowledge. Uh, he just would, you'd ask him a question and he'd give you an answer and just whip out some poem out of nowhere. And it would apply to your question. And his integrity was at such a high, high level. Uh, it, it was just, it was special to be around him. You know, one time I, I took, when I when I first, first took the job at Pepperdine to become a head coach, I took my staff. Coach Wooden's condominium. He lived over in Encino. The same condominium he was at at UCLA at the end. I mean, what a modest man. He just, anyway, we go over there and we leave and Coach Wooden calls me up. He says, uh, one of your assistants left some change here. I wanted to make sure he got it, got it back to him. So my response was, Oh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, we'll make sure. Like, what, 99 cents could have been the most? Right. I, mean, what, I mean, what could it have been? No big deal, right. coach. 
Well, he had also agreed to speak at a coach's clinic at Pepperdine later on that summer. So I remember going to pick him up to bring him up to Pepperdine to do the coach's clinic. And he gets in the car and hands me the change from the coach. <laughs> you never got back to me about that change. Here's, and that was just how he was. And uh, you learned so much. So to be able to be recognized as someone, you know, to, re to receive anything that represented Coach Woodenham was uh, probably one of the most gratifying awards I'd ever received. And I, I couldn't imagine being in the in the room, let alone the car or uh, or at his house, um, and being able to listen to him talk. There's gyms I walk into right now where they have quotes from John Wooden. Like, yeah, John Wooden's basketball is like the Chuck Norris. You know how they got all those Chuck Norris sayings? That's what. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, watch this one. Watch this one. So again, I mean, Coach Wooden, he probably got sick of me because I invited you on to a practice, invited him to one of our practices at Pepperdine. So uh, he's sitting there at half court watching our practice, right? So we go through practice. Now, Mo, you played basketball. Tony, you yeah. played basketball. I don't care where you played. You played somewhere and you did a drill. It's called the three-on-two conditioner drill. You have mm -hmm. players on each side, and three guys are coming against two. Mm -hmm. The two get the rebound, guys run in, and you just keep going up and down. I did it in high school. I've gone to so many. Well, we did that drill that day at practice, and one of my assistants, Kenny Ammon, has suggested that we did it in teams where the one side was one team and the other side. Before, you just randomly run in, right? So we had a different side. So practice is over. I said, all right, coach, what's going on? What'd you see? What what can we do better? He says, oh, you're just fine. He will never critique you. He says, I did like the adjustment in the three-on-two conditioner drill when you had teams on both sides. He said, uh, if I was coaching, I might do it that way again. Then he said this one. You know, when I first came up with that drill, I said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You started that drill? No one did that before you? And on and on and on and on, he's the one that came up with so many different fundamental things about basketball. Oh, just, wow. It's a, it's a, it's a great mind, and I had the pleasure. Actually, I told you I know Dietrich Taylor for Cal State Fullerton, and he had invited me to the uh, the John Wooden. It's a luncheon that they have in downtown LA, you know. And uh, oh, yeah, it was awesome. I could I couldn't believe it, and to see all these different people and how honored they felt just to be at the luncheon. I was like, I cannot take this for granted. I got to absorb and take all this in because yeah. I mean, it took a picture with the trophy and all that stuff. So that was awesome, man. So he had a uh, he had a great sense of humor too. He, uh, he when I was an assistant at UCLA, he spoke at a clinic at our coach's clinic, and we were walking from from the gym to where we were going to eat. So all of the coaches that were at the clinic were following us. So 
myself, Steve Lavin, Mark Gottfried, we were on the staff then. We're walking with Coach Wooden, and <laughs> all these coaches, there must have been 50 or 60 are following him. So Steve Lavin says, man, look at everybody back here. It's like in the movie Forrest Gump when he's running and everybody was following him. Right. I say to Coach Wooden, I say, hey, Coach, Lav says that uh, this is like the Forrest Gump movie. Everybody's following him. I said, remember, I said, what if he stopped and looked? I wonder if they would all stop like they did in the movie Forrest Gump. Coach Wooden said, watch this. And he stopped and looked back, and they all stopped. And he just started laughing and just kept walking. He just... He just had a great sense of humor, man. Do you think? Do you think in the moment that they understand the admiration that people have for them in the moment, like when they're going through it? Do you think that he really understood it at that time? Uh, he was such a humble man that you would never. He he had to have. He had to. Have. But I just think he handled it remarkably well. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, Coach, I want to talk about something that I think is very important to you, uh, the Lorenzo Romar Foundation. Um, it's about prevention of domestic violence and educational assistance for disadvantaged uh, youth. Um, you know, before, during this pandemic, and I just talked about this, domestic violence has, the rate has gone up because, of course, everyone is at home. And, of course, the divorce rates have also gone up. Talk to me about, about your foundation and uh, what led you to down that route of prevention of domestic violence. Since I've left University of Washington, um, it's slowed down quite a bit, but it, it's still active. Uh, I was uh, someone that witnessed it firsthand in my own home, domestic violence. But, you know, it's not just domestic violence, it's adoptions, it's family dealing with families, keeping families together. But it was something that uh, I had a passion for. And so that's what, why we had uh, start, started the foundation. So when you, when you look at the things that, you know, especially people are going through, we, we partner with uh, the 417 Recovery and um, it's, a, it's a, a center that helps people deal with depression, anxiety, addiction, you know, kids, uh, suicidal thoughts and, and stuff like that. The importance of mental toughness uh, comes to mind uh, to me. And, you know, with the pandemic and, and whether it's athletes or a violinist, you know, being at home and not being able to uh, be around other people and have that social socialization, um, what importance would you put on uh, kids and, and still being able to be active or, you know, having these Zoom calls or staying connected with family members? Um, what importance would you put on that? Oh, I think you've got to be able to do that. You know, when, when someone gets older or when my mom passed, she, she had dementia. And during those early stages, especially, they're encouraged to do crossword puzzles, to read, to interact, do things creative to make sure you keep your mind sharp. And I think with social, you mentioned social media earlier, with social media, it's just, I just think robbed our generation of communicate, being able to communicate. And in a situation like this, where you're forced to not be around people even more so, uh, you could come out of this possibly 
being so into just your own world and doing everything through social media, there is hard, your, your, your interaction with others is, is taken away. And, you know, there are many people, many people that when they're around people, it energizes them. And there's no doubt that when you're depressed, it makes you think of one person and that's yourself. And you think about the things that aren't going well and that potentially won't go well, that have never gone well for you. And you have no one around to help you focus on, on things that are positive. So right now, it's just important. I really believe it's important that much as we can and you know the different phases things are opening up again but uh when you're around those that you see are neglecting this encourage them to get out encourage them to be around and, and practice the, the social distancing and, and all of the things that we're supposed to practice right now to, to maintain our health but have that interaction you know i i've, I've reached out Kevin Love uh, came out and uh, in 2018 and and kind of talked about his mental illness. And I know, you know, young kids and even other athletes had no idea that he was uh, going through this. And now he's been a big advocate, you know, on mental illness and mental health. Um, I've actually reached out to his team and and hopefully, you know, get a response um, because I would love to have him on the show to be able to talk about that because I think it's important and you know a lot of times people look at athletes and they feel they look at athletes and say oh they're invincible or don't have these same issues and same problems um, but for college kids or high school kids that are, are going through something like that you know they when they feel like they're invincible they don't reach out so I think it's important for them to, to, to reach out um, what do you guys do within your program or um, when it comes to being able to provide them with some type of uh, help for anything like that, if they were to come to you guys. Pepperdine does a phenomenal job with it. There's actually a, a care team that, uh, you know, different, uh, in athletics, different people around the athletic department are part of this care team. You know, whether it's an academic advisor or, or, or student tra- or trainer, whatever it is, but then they, we also have a sports psychologist and we have several counselors that are all involved with this. So if someone is going through something and they notify them right away, they get on top of it and do the things that are necessary to uh, help them overcome and get through this best that they can. They, they do a really good job. With it. Well, that's awesome. Um, Coach, I'm going to give you the opportunity. I, I, I really appreciate you being on the show. I was actually looking forward to this. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've seen you on, on TV and, and kind of followed your career and, uh, and a lot of the players that you've uh, coached over the years. Um, so I was looking forward to this. And then, of course, you know, Dietrich had some funny words and stuff like that. So um, I want to thank you for coming on to the show and joining us here on Talk to Talk. Uh, Mary and, and, and her family talks uh great about you so I was like okay let me see if, I, if he lives up to the to the billing <laughs> well um, you, you have any last words coach for kids and families out there uh, before I let you get out of here you know I think you y'all have asked great questions I think we've covered a lot of topics and uh, 
Uh, I don't know if I have a whole lot more to say. I think we covered some pretty good points here. Uh, be honest with yourself. I don't think enough of us are honest with ourselves and be able to take constructive criticism. If you can't accept criticism, what that means is that you're okay where you are and you could never get better. So be able to accept it and when someone's trying to help you, at least listen to what they have to say. Excellent. Uh, and those are some great thoughts from uh, Coach Romar. Coach, uh, hopefully we get back to a season this this year. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, see what the Waves uh, do this year. I know you've got some very talented uh, players over there and, uh, of course, a very talented head coach. Um, if you don't know him, I can introduce you to him. You know, he's a really good friend of mine now. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Uh, and to you listeners, thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to my annoying voice once again. Um, please continue to join me where we'll be covering any and everything from adolescence, high school education, high school sports and athletes. I will continue to in, uh, interview educators, athletic directors, great coaches uh, such as Coach Romar, um, and of course, uh, be able to share my passion for education, high school extracurricular activities, and higher learning. We will continue to cover topics that will further our educators, build our community um, around higher learning. It's amazing uh, to me that people continue to listen and listen with an open mind. Um, find me on social media anywhere on Twitter at Mo underscore or that's with two R's or on Instagram at Mo DHS narrative and make sure to subscribe and comment on any podcast app. I will leave you with this. Take some time and do something nice for someone else. In turn, someone will do something nice for you. Stay motivated. And by all means, that is pun intended. And remember, when adversity comes, look it straight in the eye and say, I'm loved, I'm strong, and I will overcome you. I got to go. You have been watching, watching and listening to Talk the Talk with Mo Orr for Tony and Coach Romar. I am Mo. Until next time, we out. My name is Jose from Intro Wheels. I've been in the tire and wheel industry for about 40 years. We start by buying the logs of aluminum, then we cut them to size, depending on the rim. And we send them out for forging, which they make them look like a pancake. So from there, we put them on the lathe. We do the shape that we need for the style of the rim. And then from the lathe, we put them on the milling. And that's when my brother comes in with his programming and his designs. And then after that, we send them out for polishing, chroming, powder coating. Then we assemble here, you know, weld, clean them, repolish them, box them, everything to ship out. It's a quite a bit of a process. That's why it's an expensive product because it, it takes hours of work for one single ring. The reason that we were well known is because we were constantly innovating new designs. And besides that, our quality has always been there for the industry. And that's what really made us different from everybody else.